that was powerful the way you put that. I mean, both that was, you don't even need me here, right? I mean, we're, we're, hey, there we go. Might as well go home. That way we'll hit our one o'clock mark, won't we? Uh, see, there we go. Yep. Just kidding, Joy. You think you can come in here and sing a song? No, I certainly appreciate that. A uh, couple things I wanted to remind us of. Um, number one, uh, in McGuffey this Saturday, McGuffey Church of Christ this Saturday, um, there is a, a, a ladies' fellowship time. April Hol- Holbrook, at least for us, is kind of heading that up. Um, and if you want some more information about that, we have some information on the uh, bulletin board out here by the kitchen. Uh, her number's on there, and you can give them a call. It's an all-day thing on Saturday, next Saturday, uh, a speaker and a few other things. So if you're curious about that, you can give her a call. Second thing is we're not doing our student scavenger hunt today. Uh, that's one of those things you have to kind of play by ear as you go forward and see if you have enough teams. And there's a, just a lot of students. In fact, you can go, out there, go in there and see right now. There's just a lot of students who are away this weekend. Uh, things they'd already had planned, and it just didn't work out very well. Cody wants to include as many people as he can in that. So we're not going to do that uh, today and see if we can get uh, more people involved a little bit later on. Uh, so keep those things um, keep those things in mind. Last week, Jim talked about unity. Um, and I told you last week that he, he hit on a couple of things during his, during his lesson, during his community meditation. Uh, he was talking about a young, young kid who, who, you know, helped uh, a man understand that his fight, his battle was not over. Uh, but also, he expressed the desire for unity in his class and in the church. Uh, today, we talk about unity in the church. Now, today is going to be the end of this series, this crazy series. Uh, there's more stuff in there, all right? You're, you're going to read through Scripture, and you're going to find uh, other things that the Bible says, other things that Jesus says, and you're going to ask the question, well, I wonder why He didn't cover this. There's a ton of stuff in there that sounds crazy to begin with. And so we might hit on a few of these things next year. That calendar is still being put together. Most of that calendar is, is, uh, is already done. I'm still putting some of it together. Uh, but this will be the end of the crazy series as we talk about unity in the church today. Uh, then we go into a series that, frankly, I'm, I'm excited, I'm more excited about than I was with this one, and that is a series on the church itself that uh, I'm calling Iceberg. Uh, the church is so much more than what we see just on Sunday morning. We come in for an hour, we sing some songs, uh, we hear a wonderful lesson, and then we go home. Uh, and there's a lot more to the church, especially the church around the world, church history, um, what exactly the church is and what it means to be the church. And you jump right off the bat, it gets real offensive, so you might as well show up. We're going to have some fun with it. Um, and if you have somebody in your life, friend, family member, who really just doesn't understand what the church is, there's a lot of people out there 
who really don't understand what the church is, where the church came from, and why the church exists. In fact, we need to be reminded of some of these things. Have them here. Have them here for this next series. All right? Tell them. Come to this church. Come to church with me. We're going to go through this series. Have them here. Don't not have them here. Have them here. All right? Uh, and it should be exciting for all of us. Uh, there's a lot of things that we can learn. Also, another announcement, I won't be here tomorrow. If you need anything, uh, need to talk to me, I won't be here tomorrow. I'll be out of town with a couple guys in the church. There's so, some people that just need extra preaching. Um, so I'm going to be... <laughs> so, so I'm going to be with some of them uh, tomorrow. So I won't be here. Yeah, I won't be here today. This week... Much like worry. You know, we had a lesson on worry. This week we get to a place in Scripture that many people simply ignore. They refuse to obey. We do that with worry, don't we? We already talked about that. Jesus says, point blank, do not, this is a command, do not worry. We say, ah, forget that. I'm going to go ahead and worry when I feel like it. Uh, why? Why can I get away with worry? Because uh, if I worry, then I'm, I'm being responsible, right, about life and about things. Jesus says that's completely the opposite. You're being very, very irresponsible with your life and the lives of others if you worry. Uh, today, something very, very similar to that, that many people just refuse to obey. And we come up with a million excuses as to why we want to ignore the very words and the very example that Jesus gives us. But all of these excuses boil down to nothing. And today, hopefully, you will see this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you give us the opportunity to be challenged today. Uh, that our eyes might be opened. We keep saying this. We keep asking this. That our eyes are open, our hearts are open. To be challenged to, to, to change. To pursue who Jesus is, what Jesus is, the way He thinks, the way He acts. The, way, the things that He thinks are important, His priorities. We want to be turned into that, Father. But You need to help us. You need to help us ease this pride. You need to help us with our trust. And you need to help us with our understanding, Father. And so that's what we ask for today. We ask that you are honored, that you are glorified in the lessons we teach today. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me in your swords to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. Now, we're going to be back and forth in a couple of different books. Matthew chapter 12. Uh, well, mainly Matthew chapter 12. But the majority of what we're going to talk about comes from Mark chapter 3. So you can be in Mark chapter 3. While you're doing that, I'm going to start... In Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 12, verse 46 says this, While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Now, maybe you've heard this story before. Jesus is teaching and, and mom and his brothers show up. They want to talk to him. This is recorded in Matthew 12, Mark 3, and Luke 8. And then in John, there's, there's another uh, uh, disagreement, kind of a dust-up a little bit, between Jesus and his earthly brothers. The point is this. In every gospel account, there talks about a little bit of friction between Jesus' earthly brothers and Jesus. In, in Jesus' family, the, the sons and daughters of Mary and Joseph. And so you may experience some of this stuff in your own life. Some of this hardship, some of this friction, some of this... Uh, uh, disagreement, different places and moments in your life. Hey, look, don't give up on that. 
Don't just walk out. Don't just stop with all that. Jesus is morally perfect in every way. And so even he understands, even he gets some of this disagreement in family. This is recorded all throughout the Gospels. But while he's talking to the crowd, his mother and brother stood outside and wanted to talk to him. What's the scene here? What are we talking about? Let's back up a little bit. Some of the Pharisees, Jesus has been teaching, uh, teaching around the Sea of Galilee, and some of the Pharisees want to kill him. Some of the church leaders want to kill him, or some of the temple leaders want to kill, kill him. And so Jesus is on the move. While Jesus is on the move teaching and preaching, large crowds are following him. They want to listen to him. They want to feast upon what he has to say. Think about that for a moment. Jesus is teaching, and there's a bunch of people that want to kill him, a bunch of people that want to do away with him. And then there's a bunch of people who love him, a bunch of people who want to spend time with him, a bunch of people who want to listen to him. Which one would you pay attention to? Scratch that. Which one do you think about? Which one do you think about? Because I, I got news for you, the same stuff happens today. No matter where you go, what you read, what you hear, all over the place, you get the same thing. A large group of people who want nothing to do with Jesus, hate the very idea of Jesus, and certainly everything Jesus teaches. And then you get a large group of people who absolutely love Jesus, follow Jesus, and I mean some incredible super people that do these types of things. I mean have accomplished things that you can't even fathom in your life, and they love Jesus and follow Jesus and want to be like Jesus. My question to you is, which one do you pay attention to? What do you think about? What do you read? What do you listen to? When you're scrolling through the headlines or when you're flipping through the channels, what's the type of thing you think about? And you re- what's, what's in? What comes in? Truth? Love? Joy? All this hope that can come in? Or ugliness? You see, because I know sometimes it's ugliness. I know every person in this room at some point reads the ugly, right? Listens to the ugly. I know that because I do. It's a problem. It changes our life. It changes our mentality. It changes how we see reality. Oh, everybody hates Jesus. I'm on an island all by myself. No, you're not. No, you're not. There's a lot of people out there who love Jesus, follow Jesus, give everything to follow Jesus, teach and and serve and care about one another. There's a lot of sane people out there, okay? What do you think about? What do you bring in? What do you read about? Paul tells us. Many, many times, we've been talking about this throughout the series, think of the good things, right? The beautiful things, the noble things, the honest things, the true things. Guys, you've got to be bringing that stuff in. I'm not, I'm not telling you to be ignorant of the world around you, all right? You've got to realize there's stuff that goes on, and you've got to live and work and move and operate inside of that world. But man, sometimes we fill our days and then our thoughts and our minds and our hearts with everything and everyone we just plain old disagree with. Then we walk around and say, what a horrible life, horrible creation, horrible world. I can't wait until God shows up with gasoline and a match. Well, no kidding. No wonder. There's some beautiful things too. All right? So all of these people are following Jesus. A lot of people want to do away with him. A lot of people love him. Okay? A lot of people want to listen to what Jesus has to say. It's been that way ever since the beginning. At one point... 
as he's walking around, he's teaching, he's healing. At one point, Jesus enters the house. Now, this might be while he's back in his hometown because we see that his family is there. So he enters the house for a moment just to eat, to relax, and be refreshed with his disciples. Mark 3, verse 20. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. People were coming in wanting to get a piece of them, wanting to feed off of them. See, sometimes we don't even like that, right? Stop feeding off of me. Jesus is completely the opposite. Feed on me. Feed on me. This is what they're doing. They want to feed off of him. And this is what Jesus wants for you and me. Instead of eating and relaxing, Jesus begins to teach this large crowd that's moved into this house. Jesus does this often. Uh, John chapter 4, we've been talking about this a lot through our series where the disciples go off to get food and Jesus sees the crowds coming out of the town. He begins to teach and preach. He tells his disciples, look, forget about the food right now. I've got food you know nothing about. It's time for me to teach and preach. Leave the food there. Let's go teach. Let's go bring in the harvest. But there's other times. And so that's a good example for you and me. But there's other times that Jesus says, hey, guys, just, just give me a minute, will you? You know, large crowds following him, teaching all day long, and people still there. And Jesus says, guys, I love you, but get out of here for a little bit, will you? Let me go up on the side of the mountain. I want to spend some time by myself. I want to rest. I want to pray. I want to be refreshed. So that's good to remember as well. Jesus does both of these things. Right now, he wants to come in and be refreshed, but the crowd's there. And so he begins to teach. He begins to preach. Now we get into the meat of the lesson, Mark 3. Verse 21, when his family heard about this, the fact that he was in the house, the fact that he was around town, the fact that there were large crowds, and the fact that he's been walking around teaching and preaching, when his family heard about this, listen to this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. What have we been talking about? We knew knew this. We've been talking about this for a whole series. Jesus is out of his mind. That's another way of saying, well, that's just crazy, some of the things he's been talking about, some of the things he's been teaching. But we realize if we'll take a moment to fully understand and apply some of these strange things that Jesus says, they're really not all that crazy. They're not crazy at all. In fact, Jesus has got a grasp of reality that the rest of the world doesn't have. He sees the way it's constructed and the way it is meant to be. And so many people forget that. The world around you has no idea about some of that stuff because their eyes are not open to the truth of Jesus Christ. Even his own people, your, your, your uh, translation may say his associates, may say his own people, uh, may say his family, all of that. As we look at the rest of the context, I think it's better understood as his, his people or his family. Um, even they didn't know. Even they didn't grasp what Jesus was saying. Look, this guy's nuts. After all, eat my flesh, drink my blood. Come on. Unless you hate yourself, you can't be my disciple. Well, of course they're going to say this guy's crazy. We've got we to lay hands on him because he's, he, he's, he's making this hard for himself and he's making this hard for everyone else. Matthew 12, 47, someone told him your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. Possibly even his sisters were out there. And of course, Jesus had brothers and sisters earthly brothers and sisters, half-brothers and sisters, if you want to call them that. We know at least four brothers that Jesus had, uh, and they're referenced at some point throughout all the gospel accounts. Even his sisters are referenced throughout the gospel account. Don't twist this into something it's not meant to be. Mary and Joseph had more kids than Jesus, 
Okay, that's, that's it. Uh, you'll hear all kinds of foolishness. You'll hear all kinds of crazy stuff that people make up. Okay, not really brothers and sisters. They can't possibly have any other kids. This must be a cousin that they're calling brothers and sisters. All this. Mary and Joseph had more than one kid. I mean, that's the way it went. Okay? I mean, that was very, very common back then. You wanted as many boys as you could. Really, that's just the way it went. Because you wanted them to take care of the place. You wanted them to take care of mom and so forth. So Jesus had brothers and he had sisters. Again, we hear about four of them throughout scriptures. We see this same account right here in Matthew 12, Mark 3, and Luke 8. In John 7, they even get into it a little bit. And his brothers begin taunting Jesus. John chapter 7, after this, Jesus went around Galilee. He didn't want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders were looking for a way to kill him. That seems to be a common theme in Jesus' life, doesn't it? But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Hey, Jesus, tell you what, why don't you leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. Nobody wants to become a public figure, acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, go, just, just go, show yourself to the world. And we know that they were taunting him, they were teasing him, they were wanting him to get away. Because in verse 5 we read, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. i got to be honest, I don't, I don't really like the way that's written. Even his own brothers did not believe in him. If I was writing that, I would say, of course his own brothers didn't believe in him. Or obviously his own brothers aren't going to believe that he's the Savior, that he's the Messiah of mankind. But I've told you before that I think it's an incredible testimony because while you may not know all of Jesus' brothers' names, you probably know at least two. You can see Acts and the book of James for one brother, and you can see the book of Jude for another. And imagine that. Imagine that testimony of who Jesus is, his own brothers following Jesus. The other two were called Joseph and Simon. But at this point in his ministry... They wanted to lay a hold of him and quiet him down. And Why? Because they thought he was getting carried away with himself. This has gone far enough, Jesus. You are hurting yourself, Jesus, and you're hurting us in the process. By doing what? By following this God, your Father, and certainly calling him your Father. Mark 3.22, the teachers of the law piled on. The teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem, wasn't just his family. Teachers of the law said he's possessed by Beelzebub. By the prince of demons is he driving out demons. Teachers of the law. The lawyers in the crowd. you got to watch the lawyers in the crowd, right? The word around town is Jesus is crazy. And he needs to stop. He just needs to shut it down. Moral perfection. Moral perfection in their presence. Moral perfection in our presence. Moral perfection, this something that we strive towards, that we are being sanctified towards in our holiness. And all they can think about is shutting him up. Don't think for a second that following Jesus is supposed to be easy. Will you stop thinking that? If you're thinking that, stop thinking that. Stop thinking that following Jesus is supposed to be easy. And and while we're on the subject, stop thinking that everybody's got to agree with you and got to accommodate you. All right? That it doesn't work. There's no such thing as a Christian Bill of Rights, okay? doesn't exist. You're going to follow Jesus. You're going to be against everybody else. Get used to it. It's hard being holy. It's hard following Jesus. Here we have perfection. And they kill him because of it. You think it's going to be even easier for you? 
It is a big decision to make to be a part of the church. It's a big decision to make to be a Christian. It's a big decision to make to follow the one guy that everybody can agree on that they hate. It's a big decision. And it's a hard life to live, but it's certainly a good life. You see, they were going further than that. They're saying he's evil, he's bad, he's wrong. By the way, that's what it means to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. I've had people ask me this question. Hopefully we just put this to bed. Jesus tells us every sin can be forgiven except the sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And I've had people often ask me this question. You know, uh, you know they're, they're, they're scared. You know, they read this. They believe in Jesus, and they're scared. They say, oh, my, I've, I've made a mistake. I've messed up somewhere. I want to make sure I haven't made this mistake. Well, the first thing I tell them is, if that is a concern of yours, you haven't made the mistake, all right? That, so don't worry about that. If, if this is bothering you, don't worry, because you're not there. Basically, blaspheming the Holy Spirit is cutting off the branch that's supporting you. That's what it means. That Jesus and all of his teaching is being directed by and speaking for an evil spirit rather than the Holy Spirit of God. And so when I reject Jesus and his teaching, I am rejecting the Holy Spirit. I am blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Saying that the Holy Spirit is evil. That the Holy Spirit is bad. The Holy Spirit is wrong. That's what he means by that. It is to reject what Jesus is. It is to reject what Jesus says. It's to reject what Jesus stands for. All of these things. To reject Jesus. That's what it means. To blaspheme the Holy Spirit. So if you believe in Jesus and you know that Jesus died for your sins and He's God and He died for your sins, He rose again three days later, and you're afraid that you're making some mistakes, don't worry, Jesus died for that as well. You're not blaspheming the Spirit. Some people do, right? There's a lot of people that say that Jesus is a fraud, that Jesus is nonsense. That it's not important to follow Jesus. I would be very, very scared. If I didn't follow Jesus, I would be terrified. I would be terrified. Interesting, isn't it? You follow Jesus, you don't really have to be scared of anything. You don't follow Jesus, you live your life in terror. One guy, one decision, one gift. It's a fascinating thing to me. The power of Christ. Anyway, his whole family's out there. And they may not believe he's crazy. They may not believe he's evil. But they certainly think they should keep quiet. This is getting out of hand, they say. He's too into this message. He's too into following and speaking for God. And here's the oddest thing about the whole situation. Mary's there. Mary's there. With the brothers. Wanting to calm Jesus down. Wanting to quiet Jesus down. Wanting to lay hands on Jesus and get him out of there. Mary's there. Now, this is 30 years later, all right? The sons are grown. One of these sons is probably running the family at this time. That's just kind of the way these things go. But if Mary's there, you can be sure that she knows the truth better than anyone. Again, Mark 3.31, Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. Mary knows Jesus is virgin born. She remembers the stable. She remembers the shepherd. She remembers the wise men. She remembers the star. She remembers Gabriel, the angel, talking to her. 
She remembers the miracle of God working in her life. And this tells me one thing. If she's there with the brothers to shut Jesus down, it tells me one thing. This incredible dependence we have on the acceptance or rejection of man. And you have got to get rid of that in your life. If you want to be holy, you have got to get completely rid of this dependence on the acceptance or rejection of human beings. promise you, you'll never be a preacher. (laughs) Boy, a lot of people get upset. you got to quit that. And if that's the case, we know no better. We don't know better, but if that's the case, why Mary's here? She's allowing this to drag her away from the truth that she saw with her own eyes. She heard with her own ears. It happens that way, and it's dangerous. You can't live for Jesus Christ and live for the people around you. You can live for Jesus, and you can serve the people around you. You can live for Jesus and you can sacrifice for people around you. But you can't live for Jesus and live for people around you. It doesn't work that way. How we look at others, how we sound to others, whether or not others are going to like what Jesus says. Even Mary is here. And I don't know if she's scared for Jesus. I don't know if she's embarrassed by Jesus. All I know is is the family trying to quiet him down. Let's take a minute. Let's take a minute, back up, see what Jesus is teaching at this very moment. The, the, the Pharisees accused Jesus of working for the devil, and that's how he's able to command evil spirits. Well, now it's Jesus' turn to say, well, that's crazy. <laughs> that's crazy, guys. That doesn't make any sense. How can Satan be against himself? For that matter, how can God be against himself? Mark 3, 23-25. So Jesus called them over, began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan, guys? Look at this, verse 24. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house, he goes even further, even closer. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. I'm going to say that again. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. I don't care what kingdom it is. I don't care if it's your own personal kingdom that's going to come to rubble anyway. I don't care if it's an evil kingdom. I don't care if it's the eternal kingdom. If it's divided against itself, it's not going to work. And I don't care if it's this kingdom right here in Russiavania. Imagine setting up a kingdom in Russiavania of all places. You could choose anywhere in the world. Where do you want to go? Russiavania. All right. This part of the kingdom or this kingdom right here, if it's divided, it cannot stand. I love the fact that he is preaching that. A house divided cannot stand, and immediately after he says that, his mother and brothers, his house, walk in and say, Jesus, we got a problem with you. Don't think that this is a coincidence. As though Jesus didn't know what was going on. As though this wasn't by design to drive home a very serious point. He chooses in this moment to show what a house looks like, what a church looks like, what being united looks like. This is a call for unity. It's a call for unity in Jesus Christ. It's called for unity in the home, but more to the point, it's called for unity in the church of Jesus Christ around the world. And it starts right here in Russiavania. We can clearly see, or at least we ought to be able to clearly see how it can affect our homes, 
Some of us live in divided homes, and that's a very hard place to be. It's a very sad place to be, and it's a struggle throughout the days. Sometimes we, we have these, these disagreements in beliefs. Sometimes we have these disagreements even in loyalties in our homes. And I'm telling you, that's a real battle. And my heart goes out to you. But it, it, it drives home the necessity that Jesus needs to be taught in your home. I'll tell you what, if you're leading that home and you're not actively talking, teaching, showing Jesus in your home, shame on you. You know better than that. You're going to have a home divided, and it's going to be a life full of unrest rather than a life full of peace. Now, we have no evidence that Jesus' brothers hated him, not like Joseph's brothers hated him. In the Old Testament, they tried to kill him, then they sold him off into slavery. But they simply feel very uncomfortable with the boldness and craziness of Jesus. Perhaps even their intentions were good in protecting the name of their family. But we've all heard where the road paved with good intentions leads. And this is a serious battle in some people's hearts. I've seen this. I've seen transformations come over men and women as leaders of their home. I have this incredible respect for them. Even if they're led there by their children to have this unity in Christ in their home. But we're going to take it a step further. Jesus takes it a step further in our life and in our church and in the church around the world. There are battles in the home, even with people who believe in Jesus, presented so often with a choice between Jesus and others, Jesus and family. We're presented with a choice between Jesus and job, Jesus and schools, Jesus and hobbies. And we get this same thing, this same excuse every time. You're going to pick Jesus over me? What's the matter? Don't you love us? You're going to pick Jesus over me? What's the matter? Don't you care about us? Because i got to tell you, picking the Jesus guy every time is really making life difficult for everyone. The church faces the same battle. Those who follow Jesus Christ are, you be to be, are to be united in Jesus Christ, to love one another, care for one another, sacrifice for one another, and serve one another. I have read, I have heard people in the church separating from their brothers and sisters over all kinds of things. You can call it political. You can even call it geographic. I don't care. It's foolishness. It's nonsense. Anybody who claims to love Jesus and hates his brother or sister is a liar. Anybody who hates their brother and sister, anybody who wants nothing to do with their brother and sister and claims to love Jesus is a liar. You know, Simon the Zealot was a disciple of Jesus. Matthew. The tax collector was a disciple of Jesus. Simon the Zealot is what we would call the modern-day terrorist. He was a zealot. He was of the sect, and all they did all day was try to destroy Rome. That's all they wanted. That's all they lived for. I mean, they led the attacks. They did all this stuff. Simon the Zealot, all right, disciple of Jesus. Matthew? Matthew worked for Rome. Rome was Matthew's employer. In fact, not only was Rome Matthew's employer and and gave him the sustenance that he had to raise his family or whatever he was doing, actually he was pretty well off, he had a bad reputation amongst the Jewish people. Simon the Zealot is called by Jesus. 
Matthew the tax collector, or Levi, however you want to call him, it was called by Jesus. These two men become brothers. They become united. They die for what they believe. They're killed for it. They're considered pillars of the church. Establishing what you and I call Christianity that we are following and serving and living through today. One of these original twelve, or two of these original twelve. Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. And why do they have this closeness? Why are they family? Why are they brothers? Because they care a whole lot more about Jesus than they care about anything else. It's that one linchpin that holds everything together. That holds your whole family together. That holds this whole church together. That holds this church with the church just like it on the other side of the world. Jesus, the same King, the same Savior, the same God, the same baptism, the same church. I, 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 I see people that are more dedicated to people that they don't even know. Messages they don't even know. Than they are to brothers and sisters in the church and in the body. Willing to sacrifice and love and care and serve them. This is your family. Like it or not. <laughs> That's the way family is though, isn't it? You ever, you know, whenever you meet somebody that you don't know very well, you're on your best behavior, right? You make sure you, yes sir, no sir, yeah. Well, you get together with family, it's a little, bit, a little different story, isn't it? I've gone out to nice dinners before and then I've gone to Thanksgiving dinner with my family. You ought to see the difference. I mean, there's arguing, there's fighting, there's bellowing, there's quarreling, there's this, there's that. There's making fun of everybody, making fun of me. That's what it is. And I love every minute of it. I love it. Because that's what it means. That's what it takes. That's what you get to. It's this, it's this familiar, it's this earthy, it's this vulgar relationship with what they would call the romantic, the vulgar relationship. This closeness. That's what it grows into. And that's what your brothers and sisters in Christ are. You know, I told Laura, I remember the first, the first day Laura started working officially, you know, she came into a meeting and she went through her stuff and I went through my stuff and everything and finally I stopped. I said, Laura, this ain't going to work. I said, look, if you don't come in here and start having some zingers, if you don't come in, come in here and start having something to make fun of, we're just, this ain't going to work, all right? You got you to gotta fire some shots at me so we can have some fun in here. You know, it's just this closeness that we build and that we have in our family. Matthew the tax collector, Simon the zealot. The great thing about all this is that Jesus went through the very same battles that you might have in your own home, in your own family, and even in this church. In every gospel account, like I've told you, there's friction recorded between Jesus and his earthly family. That's why Jesus says, that's why all of this is done in sequence. That's why Jesus says, you have to love me more than you love anything else, even yourself. More than you love your friends and your family, more than you love yourself. Look, in no way is Jesus suggesting that we ignore or abandon our biological family in order to follow him. Don't do that. Paul calls that person worse than a heathen, okay? Don't do that. But it does mean that our faith, our fellowship, and our love for Jesus Christ needs to be first and foremost in everything in our life and everybody else comes second to it. Yes, even brothers and sisters in Christ need to be first and foremost in our life. Nowhere does Jesus suggest that our biological family is more or less important or closer or more distant than our brothers and sisters in Christ. Made that way through the blood of Christ. I got to hurry. She's going to start yelling at me pretty soon. Made that way through the blood of Christ. 
By the way, thank you. The blood of Christ. Every time I've heard this saying, I think somebody said it wrong. Blood's thicker than water, right? Well, being the, the family that you're born into is, is thicker than, you know, thicker bond than everything else. That, and it's completely the opposite. That saying means completely the opposite of that. Blood is thicker than water. Water is the biological family. Blood is the fight and struggles that you go through together that build this familiar relationship. And that's precisely what the Bible says. That's where you get that blood is thicker than water. These struggles that you go through, these lives that you build together, these, these, this, you know, and certainly this blood of Christ that covers you and covers me is thicker than water. We must care for our families, provide for them, but we must never allow our dearest loved ones to influence the way that we carry out the will of God. And this is a real-life example. Jesus has a choice to make. Your mother, your brothers are outside. They want you to come out, and Jesus is put in the middle. Nobody ever said holiness was easy. It's not supposed to be. Crowd was sitting around in Mark 3.32, and they told him, your mothers and brothers are outside looking for you. He knows what this means. They want you to stop doing what you're doing. Not everything. Don't, don't stop doing everything. Just this, right? Just this. Just this. Just stop doing this today. Don't stop what you're saying. Don't stop what you're teaching. Just, just stop right now. Stop today, right? Put something else first. Put someone else first before Jesus. Just, just tell you what. Let's make a deal, all right? You just deny God the Father today. And then tomorrow, you can get back on track. It's no big deal. I've told you before, Satan is not interested in taking over your life, okay? He is interested in taking over a part of it, small, tiny part, and then the next part, and then the next part, and then the next part. That's all he cares about. Just stop today. Mark 3, 33 through 34, Jesus says this, Who are my brothers? Who is my mother? Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, look, check it out. Here are my mother and my brothers. Who do you think my family is? Right here, right here in front of you is my family. Look, Jesus isn't being rude. He knows that doing the will of God is far more important than anything else. At this point, his earthly brothers don't even believe in him. He feels closer to these sinners who follow him and believe him than he does to the sons and daughters of Mary and Joseph. And Paul writes about this at length. You've either believed this or you don't believe it. Either accept it or reject it. And if you're going to accept it, live it out. Ephesians 1, 4 through 7. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 3. So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. Galatians chapter 4. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son to into our hearts, the spirit who calls out and cries out, Abba, Father. Romans 8. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. Now, if we're children of God, we are heirs with Jesus Christ. Listen to the words of Jesus and then apply them to your life. 1 John 4, I wasn't being uh, half-cocked here a few moments ago. 1 John, we see the same thing. If you claim to love God, and you don't love your brothers and sisters, (laughs) if you claim to love Jesus, and you want nothing to do with your brothers and sisters in Christ, if you claim to love Jesus and you hate those people around you, he says you're a liar. 
You're a liar. And so he asks the question, are you a liar? Am I? I think more, really the question ought to be, have you been? Have I been? Because it's real tempting, oftentimes, on the other side of the world, the other side of a culture, some sort of different, distant place, a brother and sister in Christ who doesn't say what you say, act the way you act, think the way you think, in many ways doesn't believe what you believe. Say, I hate that person. I want nothing to do with that person. I don't care about that person. That's your brother. Are you kidding me? That's your brother. Yeah, but listen to what they're saying. I get it. You got to listen to some of the things my sisters and I said when we were growing up. That's your brother. That's your sister. You have an obligation to care for, to serve, to love brothers and sisters in the church of Jesus Christ. And it starts right here in this church, in this body. Whoever does not love their brother and sister who they haven't seen cannot love God who they have seen. Jesus goes on to tell us, Mark 3.35, whoever does God's will, that's my brother. That's my mother. That's my sister. That's my family. Whoever does God's will. I don't know about you, but I like the fact that I am considered the family of Jesus. Right? I like the fact that Jesus sees me as a brother. I know he's not going to let me down. I know he's not going to walk out on me. I know he's going to stand up for me, right? That's what, that's what older brothers do for younger brothers, right? Stand up for me. I, I, I like the fact that I'm a part. How dare I deny anybody else? Certainly when they say, no, I believe in Jesus. Even with our disagreements, even, even with our differences, even with our struggles, whether it's in our home or in our church or around the world, how dare I suggest that he and I are not brothers, he and I are not sister, brother and sister. Jesus is my brother, he's yours if you've accepted this, this desire to be family. See, he wants to be family. He wants you and him to be family. This is God, by the way, the creator of the stars. He wants you and him to be family. And you get to accept that or reject that. You get to accept who He is and what He is, and it comes along with His eternal kingdom, His eternal life. Or we reject. We reject that beautiful invitation. We reject that eternal loving family that we have. That's unity. That's what it means to be united in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the love You've given us. We thank You that we get to treat You, that we get to, to see reality, that we are a part of Your family. Father, that is... That is if we believe you. I believe you, Father. I believe Jesus. I believe that my brother died for me. So, Father, I, I ask that you, you put that on the hearts, the minds. Help people chew on that. Help, help people digest that. That their brother, Jesus, died for them to save them. And, yeah, there's a lot of brothers and sisters all over the world. And sometimes, frankly, Father, it's just... <laughs> It's taxing on the mind just to be in the same room with them. But help us to see that there are brothers, there are sisters. And you love them, you love them as much as you love me. We thank you for that family, eternal family. I thank you that no one in this room ever that walks through these doors can ever again say that I'm all alone. Can ever again say that I don't have brothers and sisters. Can ever again say that I don't have a family. 
What an incredible gift you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this side. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Joy tears with Jesus as we travel this side. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. Incredible coincidence, wasn't it? You just, just came up with that. Yeah, right that's there. excellent. Did you write that? That was perfect for this. All right. We were told by Joy actually earlier today. This is what we're doing. This is how we're doing it, right? And we that's what we do. So, let's pray. And, and well, hey, by the way, make sure you remember we do have for fifth and sixth grade. If you have fifth and sixth graders, you want to make sure you get out there to uh, West Mansfield is where this is going on. Okay, so make sure you do that today too. Father, we thank you. We love you, Father. And we love the fact that Jesus died for us. I, there's nobody, nobody here that would want to see and witness someone being crucified and, and someone being tortured like that. But we are glad, we are happy that uh, even with uh, the pain and, 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 and that type of suffering that Jesus went through it, that um, if we might be so bold, that our, our brother, our, our big brother went through all of that so that we could live with you, our Father, eternally. Father, help us to treat that as serious as it is. Help us to treat that with the incredible love that it is. Help us to follow him, uh, because he always leads us, always leads us in the right path. Father, he doesn't always lead us in the, uh, in the safe path or the fun path, but our brother always leads us in the right one. It's in his name we pray. Amen.